Thanks very much, Ali. That's great. It's good to be back with you again. Uh, and opening up the scriptures with you, it's wonderful that we've got the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit inspiring God's Word to us here today. And this morning we're picking up again with uh, John's Gospel. I believe there's been a, a little bit of a break with Christmas, New Year, and uh, texts for the year and so on. So we're, we're picking up uh, back again in John 13 as we move towards the end of uh, John's Gospel over the next uh, number of weeks, however many weeks, still being in this uh, wonderful uh, account of the life of Jesus. And in the studies so far, let's just kind of re-engage with this book. From John chapter 1 through to chapter 12, we've got an account of the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus, but it moves into a new section from John 13 to John chapter 17, where we come across what's called the Upper Room Discourses, or the Farewell Discourses, uh, which includes rich material, uh, teaching about Christian service, love, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, teaching about God, the nature of God and of prayer. Uh, so it's very rich and it's amazing how that Jesus compacted so much teaching into one night and he was going to make the most of the opportunity because life was short and the disciples were going to be carrying on his ministry after his death, his burial, his resurrection and his ascension. So it all focuses in now uh, on this kind of handing over to the disciples. Most recently the sermons were on the first part of John's Gospel where at the, the Passover there's the washing of the disciples' feet and the predicting of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. So we're going to re-engage with the passage here in verse 31 of John chapter 13. I think the words will come up on the screen if you want to follow them. When he, that is Judas, was gone. Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. As I told the Jews, so now I tell you. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. This, by this everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Have you ever questioned the reasons why Jesus chose these disciples. We move on to the next slide if you, if you like just now. Why was it 
that he chose Judas with a, a besetting sin of avarice. And he's the treasure. He's looking after the money, the money bag, and yet he's taking money for himself. It seems to get worse and worse through his life. James and John with fiery tempers. Thomas, prone to doubt and melancholy. Peter, impulsive, lacking self-awareness, and often proving to be unreliable, not meeting his own expectations of himself. I mean, if these were your candidates to be elders here in Hamilton Baptist Church, would they meet the mark? It begs the question, doesn't it? At face value, would they be on the short list of anybody's uh, list of potential candidates to be elders or office bearers of any form within the church? They don't exactly measure up if you're using a tick box exercise here. Seems to me that it's not so much um, where they were or what, what they've, they've arrived at as where they can tick all the boxes that they're these are the, the people you would expect Jesus to choose with all of their flaws. It's, I think, much more about the direction of the lives that they were taking. He's called these people to be his followers. And somebody's got, you've got to start somewhere as a follower of Jesus. Where, what were we like before we started following Jesus? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that needed perhaps cleared up in some of our lives. Before bit by bit we changed more into the likeness of Jesus, the more we followed him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And to become a follower of Jesus means to set the course of our lives in a particular direction. And it's over time that we prove ourselves to be disciples of Christ. What were you like last year? or the year before, or five years ago, or perhaps ten years ago, as a Christian? Could somebody look at your life and say, I love to see the way in which the grace of God is changing you more into the likeness of Christ as the years have passed by, from where you were to where you are now. And let's remember that these disciples hadn't yet experienced the power of the Holy Spirit given to them on the day of Pentecost. So we can be sympathetic with them. They might not have ticked every box, but they were heading in the right direction. Not all of them made it. Judas, we know about. Given an opportunity by Jesus to come good and yet yielding to temptation in the way that he did, and ending his days in utter failure. And others, though they made it, did struggle. Peter, overestimating his ability to be loyal and underestimating how difficult it would be when he faced the dark powers that were up against him when Jesus was arrested and taken into the courtyard, leading to his denial. Later, he and all the other uh, disciples witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and they were astonished at the power of God and they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and that transformed Peter into courageous and uh, into being a courageous and bold person, the person that he came. 
he, he became, but uh, he, he was weak in other ways and unaware of it. I uh, came across something a, a while ago about something called centered sets and bounded sets and, and how we can appraise people for suitability. Uh, and one is all about ticking the boxes. Is this, does this person, you, you can tick that one, you can tick this one, you can tick the other one. Uh, or you can uh, gauge somebody's suitability on the, on the direction that they are taking. Are they becoming uh, more mature in their days? And this is what we're seeing with these disciples here. Turning to the passage, how does Jesus react to this development that Judas has gone out and he knows that Judas is going to betray him? It's not like, oh, everything's going pear-shaped now. I was hoping this wouldn't happen. Jesus discerns that the time for his death was fast approaching. Far from being frustrated, instead he says to them, um, effectively, now is the time, it's arrived, that he is going to glorify the Father through his atoning work for sin upon the cross. He will be arrested, he will be tried, he will be tortured, he will be executed. But it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. Jesus knows this, he sees this. And God the Father will be glorified in the Son through the cross and there will be no further delay. This is what Jesus means when he says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and he will glorify him at once. In other words, now is the time. It has arrived. Jesus' description of himself here as the Son of Man is the equivalent of him being Messiah. The Son of Man is a, a glorious figure that we can read about in Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. And uh, he, his, this, this Son of Man figure informed the understanding of the Jews as they uh, thought about the Messiah who was to come. He is this glorious figure given authority over all nations and all peoples by the Ancient of Days. And here Jesus refers to his imminent death and what will be achieved through this. He will glorify the Father through his obedience and the Father will be glorified in him in the cross. When I was preparing this I, came, I thought about Philippians chapter 2 and how Philippians chapter 2 fits into this. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the, this is the, um, this is the Son of Man given authority by the Ancient of Days. Jesus then tells them what this will mean for the disciples. So, so far he's saying, basically I'm going to the cross, Judas will betray me, now is the time, but this is to the glory of God. And he says to them, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, 
And just as I told the Jews, so I now tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's going to his death. It's lost on Peter. He's shocked by what Jesus has said. He doesn't take it in. He certainly doesn't take in the command of Jesus that we find here to love one another. Instead, he focuses on what Jesus is saying about going away. He asks him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replies, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later, referring to Peter's death at a later time. And Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. This highlights for us some of Peter's deficits. There's a little next slide here. Some of Peter's deficits. He's at a comparatively early stage in his spiritual development. He lacked spiritual insight. He's lacking in spiritual insight. He doesn't understand the spiritual nature of the cross. Or the atonement. Peter doesn't have a clue about the necessity or inevitability of Christ going to, a, to the cross to atone for our sins. He's determined enough. And he would rather take a sword, and as he did slice off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Because he didn't understand that this was spiritual warfare in which they were engaged. This wasn't going to be a Messiah who overthrew the Romans was popular opinion amongst the Jews. This was a different kind of battle. This week uh, I took a difficult funeral. That of uh, my sister-in-law, Agnes. My wife Liz is with us here today and it's her sister who died having received a, a diagnosis of early onset Alzheimer's at the age of 54. She died 10 years later on Boxing Day of uh, last year. And uh, it's not been easy on us all, all but uh, I was asked by the family and as a member of the family to take the funeral. And Agnes was a, a very good person. She wasn't a churchgoer. To our knowledge, she made no profession of faith, but she was loved by us all, loved by the family. And uh, we dearly love all of our family members. It's a good family to be part of. But most of them have a very limited knowledge of who Jesus is. And we wish, we pray, that they would know more. Um, I would love to see them taking a direction towards a greater knowledge of Christ. And our hope and our prayer is that through the funeral, they might have been somehow spiritually awakened and warmed much more towards the gospel of Christ. But we want to see them over the finishing line, as it were, crossing over from death to life spiritually before the ends of, end of their days. Spiritual insight into who Jesus is and understanding the gospel is of immense worth. And it is our calling to make known the good news of Jesus incrementally, bit by bit as opportunities uh, come our way to others who do not yet know the Saviour. 
What does the average person in the street of Hamilton know about Jesus? How do, what do they, who do they understand him to be? Peter's understanding of the Messiah is limited. He has an expectation informed by popular opinion. He's slowly learning to appreciate that the weapons of our warfare are not swords, but prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit. And even ourselves as Christians, each one of us is on a journey of faith towards a greater knowledge of the character of God. It's why we're here in church this morning. It's why we're unpacking the meaning of the scriptures together, looking into this as the Holy Spirit inspires our lives in the unfolding of his word. But we are also, I believe, to learn to feed ourselves. We cannot just rely on a Sunday sermon. And with our attention span, our ability to concentrate uh, for limited amounts and for our minds to drift off onto other things, I sit in your chair too, listening to sermons. And I confess, it happens to me too. We're, not, we're only going to take in so much on a Sunday, but if we can make a pattern of learning about the nature of God and the character of God by reading the scriptures or listening to the scriptures or using audio books or written books, whatever is the best way for you to access information about uh, the nature and the character of God and God's word and his will for our lives. Uh, going to a Christianity Explored group coming up or regularly attending growth groups, these are the forums in which we gain the knowledge of God and we seek to become more obedient to Christ and more Christ-like as we follow in the direction towards uh, the, uh, the celestial city. Let's just borrow that from Pilgrim's Progress. There are opportunities for us to grow and to learn as Peter would. And the better we know the Saviour, the better, as with Peter, we will be equipped when the unexpected happens. When life throws us a challenging curveball we don't expect. We'll know how best to respond to the shock. Peter then, lacking spiritual insight, also is limited in self-awareness. He's overconfident. Overconfident of his ability to be a martyr. Oh, he's the man in his own imagination until the test of circumstances comes his way. We'll have to wait until chapter, eight to, chapter 18 of John to revisit the details of the story of Peter's attempts. Well, he was brave enough at least to enter the courtyard. The other disciples didn't. But when it came to the test, he denies, as Jesus said, three times that he even knows Jesus, let alone being his disciple. And it's not the first time that Peter shows this element of his character. I remember the incident of, uh, of him walking on water, and I always chuckle at this one. Jesus comes to them in the night, walking on water, and they're in the boat, and Peter's looking at them, they're frightened, they think it's a ghost, and he says, it's not, it's not a ghost, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. 
And Jesus says, come. It's one of those situations which Peter locks himself into. And I think that it must have been very entertaining. If I, certainly, I would have found it entertaining as a, being another disciple on the boat, thinking, okay, let's watch this one. Well, amazingly, Peter actually walks on water to begin with. Till he sees the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And the Lord reaches out his hand and saves him. It's like almost like a picture of Peter's life, this. He's got this expectation of himself that he doesn't meet when he sees the circumstances, becomes afraid and starts to sink. He's about to drown in his circumstances, doubting uh, everything that he thinks he knows. And he's totally dependent upon the Lord who reaches out his hand and saves him. I think that's actually a very good picture to keep in mind for ourselves. Because we can be overconfident with ourselves too. Uh, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm the man, I'm the woman for, for God. It doesn't matter what comes my way. I will never turn away from, from you. I mean, we make that boast. If that's our intention, add a couple of words to it. This is my resolve, and by the grace of God, God helping me, I will fulfill it. But we need the grace of God. And here we see powerful, divine grace at work. When we're sinking in failure, and when we cry out, when we cannot save ourselves, well, we don't save ourselves. In those darkest moments when we're overwhelmed with doubts and beginning to drown in our circumstances, feeling abandoned, even there, the Lord reaches out his hand to save us when we call upon his name. It's worth remembering. And Peter would learn much more about himself when Jesus' words came true about denying that he knew the Lord. Wonderful conversation. We'll meet that one in John 21 on the beach. Do you love me? Oh, that's a fantastic, fantastic passage where Peter is restored. Those three denials are kind of negated by the three confessions. Lord, I do love you. But that's for another day. That's another sermon. It's surely wise not to be wholly self-reliant. But if we do know ourselves sufficiently well, we're likely to, to be so. If we don't, sorry, if we do not know ourselves sufficiently well, we are likely to be too self-reliant. But we can learn harsh lessons uh, like Peter did if we're, if, we're not, uh, if, if we're not depending on the grace of God. Peter had uh, something else here. He's, he's lacking in spiritual insight. He's limited in self-awareness. And he has not yet learned to listen well. How well do we listen to the word of God? In summary, Jesus implied, has implied that uh, with Judas going out to betray him, he would now go to his death. But it wouldn't mean defeat. It was going to lead to victory. He would glorify the Father through his death, 
the Father would be glorified in him. And now is not the time for the disciples to go to their deaths, though Peter will follow later at another time. And within this context, he gives them a new commandment. They were to love one another as Jesus had loved them. This word commandment in the original language is the same word that is used when Jesus has a conversation with a teacher of the law and asks him, what are the greatest commandments? It's the same word. I like to think of this in a sense, or there are many commandments. If I think of the Ten Commandments, I almost put this on the, the level of an, as an eleventh commandment. It isn't technically so, but I like to think of it that way because it's groundbreaking. But Peter doesn't hear it this way. He doesn't say, wow, a new commandment. Tell us a little bit more about that. How are we to practice this amongst ourselves? No. He ignores it altogether. And it's one of the most important things that Jesus says to them. Everything else seems to be information what's going on in the context here but bang in the middle of it all he says is a new commandment this is what you're to go forward with Peter doesn't even pick up on it he's not listening well how well do we listen why is it that Jesus gave this commandment at this time well they had pretty poor role models amongst their Peers. I mean, they're supposed to love their neighbours and they hate the Romans and they hate the Samaritans and they hate the Gentiles. And then amongst themselves as Jews, there were so many functions. Pharisees and Sadducees and student, students of Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, some more lenient, some more strict. Herodians and zealots, each one investing in particular distinctives and saying, you know, we've got it right. Never mind them and their resurrection. Let me make a laugh at this whole idea of the resurrection of Sadducees and Pharisees disagreeing amongst themselves and some being really strict about the religion, another just a little bit kinder. looks a little bit to me like the church today. It's the, it's the unique thing about human beings. At our very worst, we all think we're right and everybody else is wrong. <clears throat> if you think you're right and everybody else is wrong about a particular doctrine or, or, or an emphasis on a particular doctrine, there's maybe a need for a little bit of self-awareness here in that we don't actually have a monopoly on the whole truth when it comes to the, where the emphasis, emphases should lie. At least I don't think so. Because I know too many good and godly people who, have, who, who uh, are shaped by particular distinctives in sound Christian doctrine that sometimes could be at variance with one another. I think it calls for a generosity of spirit 
amongst the people. This seems to me what Jesus is asking for. Whatever differences there are among you, love one another as I have loved you. It's of greater importance. It's worth asking the questions, what role models influence you? Are there people who are really good role models for love and kindness? People who, who are shaped by the commandment of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. People you experience it from. What kind of role model are you being to others? How will people remember you? There's something in the scriptures, I think it's second, is it first Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 or chapter 2 or is it 2 Corinthians 2? I think it's 1 Corinthians 2 where it uh, describes us as being living epistles uh, read and known by, by people. We are, in that sense, a world, the world's Bible. When they experience us, they, they get an idea of what God is like. Ah, that's a responsibility. If God is love, are people experiencing it from us? Let's consider this commandment. To love one another as Jesus has loved us. First of all, there is the what of love. It is a new command. Not an option, not a, you can do this or don't really need to do it. It's a must. I don't know whether that sinks home to us. The Lord Jesus Christ commands us to love. I mean, okay, do not commit adultery, it's a commandment. Do you take it seriously? Do not commit murder. Do you take it seriously as a commandment? Or do you just think, actually, I could go out and do a murder today. It's just an option. A commandment. Love one another. There's no option here. How seriously do we take it? Agape love is associated with affection and care. That is to be an outstanding characteristic of a Christian and a church. But the growing, going by the evidence of, 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 uh, of, of uh, there are times when we treat commandments as though they were options. Remember that Paul's description of agape love, here we are, I've got it here, 1 Corinthians 13, includes love is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. I preached on this here because it's a sermon that really impacts me. We shouldn't try to redefine love and think, I can justify the kind of love that I, I show to others, even if it's harsh and unkind. Tough love. Mm, I'm not convinced by that. Let me say that if our love, our definition of love, does not include kindness, if our words spoken to other believers are not experienced by them as being kind, if our deeds towards other believers are not experienced by them as being kind, then we're not really showing love at all, are we? 
And if we are disobedient to one of the greatest commandments of God, this essential commandment of God, then where does it leave us as a community of believers? It's too great a command to be missing. There's the what of love, there is the who of love. Love one another, Jesus said. They've already had uh, the commandments to love their neighbours as themselves and to love God with all their hearts and soul and mind and strength. This is new. This is to be unique amongst the believers. Love one another as I have loved you. I ask the question of you who know this commun Christian community well. How well are we doing? Is it possible that the culture of Hamilton Baptist Church could do even better? I believe you're doing well. <laughs> but is there, oh, is, there, is there room for us to do better? Where can we do better? There's the how of love, the who of love, uh, the, the how of love here. As I have loved you, Jesus says. The adverb in the original here in the language is kathos, meaning just as or in the same manner as I have loved you. That's a pretty high standard when you think of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Whatever onlookers may have criticised Jesus for... They couldn't fault him on love. They might have criticised him for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, but actually it was an aspect of his love. That he was prepared to go out of potentially his comfort zone. And I think we're called upon to do the same, to show love, to show love to others, in order to engage with people who didn't know God in this way. The comment was made when he saw, uh, when he was at the tomb of Lazarus, look how much he loved him. How are we to love as Christians in the same way as Jesus did? The life of Jesus is our workshop manual for living the Christian life. Finally, there is the why of love. Because others will know that we are Jesus' disciples. By what? A little fish stickers on the back of the car? Badges that we wear? Bibles that we carry to church? Reputation that we may have as somebody who attends a place of worship regularly? No. By our love for one another. How did Peter miss such an important statement of Jesus? We are here today not just to learn facts. We are here today to be transformed more into the likeness of Christ as we learn more about ourselves 
from his word as we gain spiritual insight from his word. As we listen well to the word of God. And that's the question in the slide coming up there. The disciples today, are we growing in spiritual insight? How honest are we with ourselves? Are we learning to listen well? Do we realise how immensely important is the new commandment of Jesus to love one another? Even if our theological emphases or personalities or preferences in styles of worship differ from one another can we be kind in closing there's a, a beautiful psalm which I, I often think of in I'd love to see this as the model of the very best of, of churches Psalm 133 the print is a little small on that one I'll read it to you just now um, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head running down, on the beard running down, on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And I believe the more we grow in spiritual insight and learn as we learn more about ourselves and listen with intent to the word of God in order to be transformed into his likeness taking seriously the love commandment the greater that transformation will take place amongst our believers and the more attractive that will be to the blessing of God calling down his presence in revival power amongst his people in such a way as impacts the community around us because they want to be like you and they want to belong in a, in a place where there's a sense of paradise here in our troubled world. May God make it happen. Amen.